huge garden, and it's just this really great environment. But part of the part of the scene of my grandparents was they argued all the time. They argued and bickered, not all the time, but it, and the older I got, the more I realized, like, they're just, they're bickering a lot. And I realized it's because they're so different from each other, and they're two quite strong-willed people, and they have different opinions about everything, it seems like, whether it's how much salt should have been in the scallop potatoes, to do you really need a jacket when you go outside, I mean, everything. And, but the thing is, you, you, never, you knew that they were, there were probably a lot of people today that would, with the level of just differences they had and different backgrounds, personalities, a lot of people would probably say, you know, you should maybe just try something different. But there was never a question that my grandparents were going to stick together. Now, I remember being in the garden talking to my grandfather one day, and he had his, actually his dad had left when he was a young boy. Um, had run off with another woman, and then later actually killed himself. So it was, he did not have a, a family background of people sticking together. And my grandmother had some similar stuff in her family background as well. And, but I remember my grandfather one day, he was telling this story to me about how he was in business, and this wife of one of his competitors, or yeah, actually tried to seduce him. And he was talking about that story, and he was like, but hey, I, I, I said no, I resisted it. And he said, you know, that there's nothing you can never take away from me. And he was talking about some of the frustrations in their marriage and some of the challenges that they'd faced and, and even that he was still, still going through. In fact, a little side note here, one of the things that he would often say, my grandfather would say to me and other people, he would say, your grandmother is a very strong woman. And it was half out of great respect and half out of great frustration <laughs> that, wow, she's a strong woman. Like, she brings so much to the table and she adds so much. And I can never get my way because she's a strong woman. You know, there was all of this, this, this tension he lived in all the time. But he said, you can never, and he's telling the story of, of resisting this temptation. He said, you can never take away from me that I've been faithful to your grandmother. And that's like the most important thing in my life. And they actually ended up living, they, they were married, they, they got married as teenagers, just barely because my grandfather turned 20 the next day. So, you know, as close as you can get to that. But they, they were married for 70 years. And I think about that, and not only did they stay together, but their relationship got closer and closer. And I, I've, I've rarely seen this, because I think a lot of times as you get older, uh, well, I, it, you know, the, the tensions can kind of pull you apart in some ways, but they stuck it out. And first of all, their marriage made a, and their family, their marriage made a huge difference in the lives of many other people as well. They only had, they had one child, my dad, um, but our family was incredibly blessed because of what they, because of them choosing to, to work through things. made a huge difference in our family. There were other young people who actually lived in their house for different seasons of their life, people with pretty troubled backgrounds and experiences, whose really lives were set on a different course because of their experience in my grandparents' home. And so many, so many people that their lives made a difference in. And but what was really neat to me, when my grandfather got older, he had Alzheimer's, and so his, his memory was failing. And you'd have a conversation with him, and 30 seconds later, he'd ask you the same question, and you'd tell him the same thing over and over again. And so he, he wasn't able to remember things. But the thing that, as they got older, they got, just got closer and closer together. And it was just so amazing seeing my grandmother caring for my grandfather. And even my grandfather, in his, as he was losing his memory, 
the one thing that, that he knew was kind of his anchor, that he knew was real and true, was that, his, that my grandmother was there for him and that she was an amazing person. And he would just tell people all the time. He'd, he'd tell you every 30 seconds because he was forgetting. <laughs> oh, Roselle, yeah, she's a great wife. I got a great wife. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, did I, did he, did I, did, man, Roselle is a great woman. She's a great <laughs> wife. And, but it was just so amazing to see that they stuck through things and there was a oneness that came about of the, through that. And I want that's really what we're talking about today is that there is, we can think so often that relationships, it's finding the right person or finding the right church or finding the right group, that that's what makes for, for being one. But it has a lot to do with that quality of saying, hey, who are the people that God's called me to stick with? And I'm just going to do it. And there are going to be a lot of days where I don't feel like it. There are going to be a lot of situations where there seem, and everything to me seems like they are the, the worst person in the world right now. But there is a stick-to-itness that God has called us to that really is, is what makes this happen. There's a verse in Psalm 122, verse 3, that says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. And Jerusalem is not just speaking of the city, the physical city, but Jerusalem is speaking of the people of God, the city of God, what God is building in the world. And what God is building is he's building lives together. It's people who are closely compacted together. That word compact, uh, literally, it can mean a couple different things. The, the, it can be a, a formal agreement, like a, a compact is pronounced differently, but a, a formal agreement or contract between two or more parties. So you, you come together in agreement. Or compact, compact can be closely and neatly packed together or dense. And that's the kind of relationships we're talking about today. In the ESV, it says that Jerusalem is built like a city that is bound firmly together. And that's a quality that God wants to put into our lives. Um, the, the, word, the biblical word, when it talks about these kind of relationships, is the word covenant. And covenant is a word that isn't used a lot now, but it really means when people come together, the, the word means to be bound together or even fettered. It sounds like imprisoned almost to us, but like last together, tied together to another person. That's what a, what a covenant is all about. And it's important when we talk about these relationships, it's easy to always think about the other person in our relationships or the other people in the group. Like, oh, well, yeah, you're right. Like, they need to be more like that. They're, there's so many flaky people. But, and that's true, there are a lot of flaky people. But it's essential that we always turn the mirror on ourselves. And we're not asking, hey, are people being compact towards me? Are they being covenantal towards me? But we're asking, am I being that kind of person towards the people around me? And that's, that, that, that's the, the, the healthy way to look at this. But that's, that's what produces the relationships we're looking for. And it's really anything that God builds in the world, it's through that type of attitude, that type of perseverance, that type of being bound together with other people. Um, we're going to look in a little bit at a story, the, in the story of Ruth, of, of two people that came together like that. But before we go there, I want to talk about two, um, two anti-bonding agents in our culture. Two attitudes and ways of approaching life that are very prevalent in our culture that keep us from bonding. I, really a question, I heard someone preach a message once, they called it, Can James Bond? It's really a great question. 
Can James bond? Can Jane bond? Can we bond? Do we have the ability to bond with other people? And there are, Rob talked last week about selfishness as the enemy of oneness. And really that kind of is the umbrella that, that covers so much. I just want to hit briefly on two sort of pervasive attitudes in our culture that, 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 are out, that are out of selfishness, really, but they're so normal. The first one is individualism. There's probably been no culture in human history more individualistic than modern American culture today. If you look at American culture compared to other cultures of the world, we are highly individualistic. And that's not all bad. There's, there's the, God is one and God is many. There is, the individual is really important. That's the beauty of the Trinity is, is, God is God is one, but God is a community at the same time. And so our individuality is important. But it's not healthy when, you know, the whole American thing, like you drive into your neighborhood, you hit your remote control, open it to your house, the door opens, you go in, the door closes, and that's how a lot of American life happens. Like you live your life and you go home and you have your TV and maybe your family and there's, this, there's a serious lack of community in our culture. Um, I believe it's, it's strongly related to the depression rates in America. You want to believe how many times as I'm talking to people and counseling people that are in a, that are in a funk, that are facing depression, so often they are separated from relationships. So often they are living independently. And we are not made, we are not made to live alone. And that, that's a strong contributor to, to depression. Rob talked last week about the whole, the detriment of the sexual revolution in our culture. And really this, what the sexual, the sexual revolution promoted was the idea of, of intimacy and sexual experience apart from committed relationship. Which really is totally turning upside down the whole idea of what, of what marriage and sexuality is all designed to be. It's really the thing that is the, the most obvious picture of two people saying, hey, everything that I have is yours, and for you alone, for a lifetime. That's really what sexuality is designed to be. And that's the, the beauty of it. But when you separate that commitment and that giving everything that I have to you for a lifetime and just trying to get pleasure without that, it all blows apart. And so there's this, this individualism that is, is very prevalent, in, in especially those of us who are Americans. The second one is consumerism. And what's consumerism? Well, consumerism is the idea that every decision we make is about finding the best, the best personal benefit for the least cost. And that's kind of how our society, that's definitely how our economy works. If you want to buy a new TV, you're looking at, well, where can I find the product I want for the least price? And, you know, there's, again, there can be some good in that. It's good that we have a system that provides goods to people, and there's competition, and there's, and there's a lot that church can learn from the business world, um, including just the idea of it's about the customers, and how can we, it's about serving the people and giving people the best product. But when there's a danger in always connecting that to the lowest possible price. And actually, many of the best businesses that, the way good businesses operate, it's not just about price, but it's about relationship and service and a connection as well. And so, but consumerism is 
is very rampant. And so much of the way we approach our interactions with other people, with our, our jobs, with our church community, with our, di- our different involvements is, where can I get the best personal experience for the least cost? And that does not bring oneness. That does not bring a depth of, of relationship. Um, in the church, I, it's, it's, you know, it, it comes into, there's a, it, it come, we lose the, real, the realization that, hey, we're in a city with, we're part of the church, big C, with a lot of local churches, and every Bible-believing, God-honoring church, we're on the same team. And we're out to, to reach this community. That's the goal. But it can become even a competition in, in a sense of like, well, where do I go that gets the best experience? What has the best worship experience? What has the best children's ministry? Where do they have the best teaching? And it easily becomes this sort of making our decisions based on where do I get the best value for the least cost? And so where can I just show up and get something without having to give a whole lot. And that is radically different from the picture of the church we see in the Bible, which is a people seeing that, man, we are joined together because of what God's done in our life to join ourselves with other people and be all in with one another in order to serve God and, and reach the world. And so we've got to be really careful, and it's important that we look at, man, where does individualism and consumerism, uh, where, where have I let that influence my thinking? Um, let's look at this story. So that's, those are anti-bonding agents, but we're going to look at, man, what are bonding agents? How can James bond? How can we bond with other people? And this is just an amazing story in the book of Ruth. We're just going to read the beginning of this story. It's a short four-chapter uh, book in the Bible. And in fact, if you're doing the weekly reading that we suggest, it's in our bulletin. This is part of that this week. But I'm just going to read the, the first 19 chapters of the story. But as I read this, look at, man, what was it? that caused a bonding? What was, what was it that caused Ruth and Naomi to be compact together in their relationships in their life? God, help us. Help us to see what you have for us to say here this morning. Verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Okay, so there's a family, husband, wife, two sons. There's a famine in Israel, so they go to the neighboring country of Moab to try to find a a better life. Now, in Limelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Interesting fact, Oprah Winfrey was actually named after Orpah here from this story, but her mom got the name misspelled, turned around, and it became Oprah. So, a little trivia for you. After Orpah and Ruth, after they had all lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Killian, the husbands, also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to to her two daughters-in-law, 
Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So, Naomi's getting ready to go back to her homeland. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. Her two daughters-in-law are with her. But she tells them, look, you know, thanks for coming with me this far, but there's no future for you with me. Go back to your own land. Go back to your families. Build a new life for yourself. Find new husbands. And I'm going to go. This, this, it's time for us to, to separate. It says, Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could, be, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now, I just love this story. and It's one of the most powerful expressions in all of Scripture of of a loyal friendship and a loyal relationship. And this, this saying, you know, the words that, that Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And the, the story continues. And it, it talks about how God blessed Ruth and Naomi because of that decision to stay together. And actually at the end of the story, you see that, that Ruth ended up, she married this guy named Boaz, and they became the great-grandparents of David, who was the, the king of Israel, and really and the precursor and the picture of Jesus, the Messiah. And really, there was no one in all of Scripture, no one in this generation, who was more central to God's purposes in history in their generation than Ruth. And it all started because of this decision to cling to her mother-in-law, Naomi, to be compacted with her, when everything, every natural reason said, hey, it's time to, to have a parting of the ways and go. But she made a decision to stay. And that caused her to be, end up being in the very center of God's purposes in her generation. And so I just want to go through and break this down. Like, what? Man, what, what was in her? What, 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 what helped her to bond? And what's the, what's the, what are the sort of qualities that God wants to put in us to, to cause us to live that way too? And so the first thing, I'm just going to look at a few aspects what are the bonding agents that, that Ruth had in her? The first, of, the first thing is that being compacted with other people is it's, it's not just words, but it's actions. 
Orpah said, hey, I'll stick with you. I'll stay with you. Don't, I'll, I'll stay. But at the end of the day, Orpah's actions were different. She went back, and Ruth continued. And I, I, I've learned that this is very true. It's, it's, it's different to say you're going to be loyal than to actually be loyal. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. And it really comes down to not what are the words, but what are the actions that back it up. I've actually learned over time to become uh, just wary or to not take it too seriously when people get too excited about our church. When I hear people say things like, oh man, I just came to your church and this is the best church ever. Man, I've, there's no church like your church. Bluemont's amazing. I, I've learned that oftentimes the people that talk the loudest, the quickest, aren't there very long. It's, it's weird how that happens. But it's just, it's so easy to talk. But then that's different than, than really bonding. The second thing is bonding comes from not just kissing, but clinging. What does that mean? Or Orpah, Orpah kissed. Naomi, her mother-in-law. There was, and I'm not going to kiss Sean. I'm tempted right now. <laughs> you know, let's act this out. But there's this, this emotional, you know, sentimental this moment. And there's, there's kissing and tears and, oh, yeah, man, we feel so much. And that's, Orpah didn't really do anything wrong. But she didn't go to the next level where Ruth did. And what Ruth did was, she didn't just kiss, but she clung on and she said, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin, no matter what. It's kind of like, some of you went to, a few of you uh, you went to Poland on a mission trip last summer. And Reagan and I, my wife, were talking about this because she was there. And one of the cultural things in Poland is if someone asks you, or if you ask someone if you can help them, they'll generally say no. And you have to ask three times. It's after three times that they'll, they'll actually say yes if they want help. And so if you don't know that, you say, hey, Josh, can I help you? You're like, oh, no, I got it. I'm good. But really, he, like, he could really use some help here. But you have to like, be more persistent and press through and say, no, 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 can I help? And no, no, I'm okay. No, really, really, can I help you with this? Oh, yeah, sure, you can help. You know, there's this, like, persistence. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's not just kissing, but it's clinging. It's saying, man, no matter what, I'm going to stick in this thing. The third thing we see that's uh, a bonding agent that, that Ruth did is that people that, that come in contact with one another is they sacrificially make life decisions together. They sacrificially make life decisions together. You know, for Ruth, it looked like she was not going to have a husband, her, she was going back with someone who was broke, who had no financial means. She, it did not look like a situation that was going to be in her best interest. But she said, you know, I'm, because of this relationship, I am going to stick with my mother-in-law, Naomi. And I'm willing to sacrifice my financial well-being. I'm willing to sacrifice having a, a husband, having a home, because this relationship is more important than that. This week is Thanksgiving, and 
I, I love the story of the, the pilgrims who first came that celebrated the first Thanksgiving. And it's often today, usually when the story's told, it's been so PCified that it's all about, yeah, I know, really, they were mean to the Indians, and let's just not talk about that story. But they, there was so much amazing, and really God's hand upon, upon these group of believers who came to the new land looking for a place of freedom to, for worship and to build a community, to build a society that would, that would bring glory to God. And the, the first pilgrims that came over on the Mayflower, there were only like 102 passengers. And only half of those were the pilgrims. The others were, were tradespeople and adventurers and people that were coming for other reasons. And they ended up not going to, to Virginia, the territory of Virginia, where they, they, were, where they had permission to go and set up a, a colony or a, a community under this legal jurisdiction of the governor. But they ended up landing farther north at near Plymouth Rock, Cape Cod, what's now Boston area. And that was outside of the jurisdiction of the king. And so they're getting close. And so the people that weren't pilgrims were, and there were, there were hard conditions on the ship. And so they had what was called mutinous talk. The people were saying, hey, once we get there, we're not sticking together. We're going to go do our thing. We're going to do our thing. And the pilgrims realized, man, if we all split, we're not going to make it. Like these conditions are, are really harsh. And so they formed what was called, what, what was the, became known as the Mayflower Compact, which was an agreement that they came together. They said, hey, we have to join our lives together in a compact, in a covenant, in a common agreement to live together and to serve one another, or we're not going to make it in, the, in these harsh conditions. And that's really, you know, and some of them, some of the, the probably the, the, like the single guys, they were like, hey, we could have been okay. We could have gone, and we could have gone to Virginia. We could, have, we could have done our business. We could have trapped and done what we were going to do. But it took them sacrificing their self-interest to come together for the whole to survive. And, you know, that's, that's really what it comes down to in, in this type of relationship, is sacrificially making joint life decisions together. What, what does that look like in our life? Um, it, it's, it's not just making decisions based on hey, what, what's most interesting or most appealing to me, but who are the people God's called me to be with? And that may take some sacrifice on my part. And that leads to the next part of this, is it's joining yourself to a people. Joining yourself to a people. There's a saying that when you find your people, you find your purpose. Man, that, that flies counter to American individualism right there, where I'm going to chart my course, and I'm going to fulfill my destiny. But there is a truth that we can't find our destiny until we find the people God's put us with. And that's not to say that God doesn't move people around and you know, move from different cities or people ever called to move from one church to another. No, God does do that. But it's important to be on the lookout as we're making life decisions. Who are the people God has put me with? And to, to, to consider that in the equation of how am I making decisions about my life? And wherever we go, to be looking for, and who are the people God's assigned me to? I know in our own family story, we had early on in our, in our marriage, in our ministry, we had a five-year period where we moved between cities five times in five years. 
And so there was a lot of mobility going on, and it was exciting. We were helping start campus ministries in a couple different places, and it was, it was exciting. It came to, after the, the fourth move, it became time to move somewhere else, and we realized, you know, we think this time it's, it needs to be more permanent. Like, we think it's time for our family to get more settled down, and our kids to grow up in, in, more, in, in one place. We think it's, it's time for that. And we had a couple different opportunities to go different places. And the thing that really made the decision for us to come to Manhattan was we had deep relationships with people here in Kansas that God had joined us together with in, in the years past. And we knew, man, this is, these are the people we're called to work with and live with and partner with and serve God together with for a lifetime. And in some ways, Manhattan wasn't my dream destination at the time. I, I had other places I probably would have picked on a map. But the critical factor was, these are the people that God has called me to, to partner with, called us to partner with, and this is a place where we can live out that calling and those core values and in the relationships God's called us to. And man, I am so glad we did. And now Manhattan is my dream destination. And I would, I would take Manhattan over anywhere else for, for a lot of reasons. But that... I, I, it's been 20 plus years now of walking with some of these people. And that's, those are some of the greatest treasures in, in my life, is being able to be joined with people. And, and it hasn't come easy. There, there have been tensions. There, almost on a weekly or monthly basis, there are tensions and pressures and things that could, could pull us apart. But it is so worth it to, to find our people and find our purpose. And so that's what, what Ruth said. She said, hey, your people will be my people. She realized that when she joined herself with Naomi, it wasn't just Naomi, but it was all of her people that she was joining herself to as well. And you know, that's, part of, that's one of the, God's tricks on us with a church family. Is Usually it's like maybe one person we like and connects with us and you know, they invite us to church or maybe lead us to Christ. And we're like, wow, yeah, Cameron, he's awesome, man. Oh, I'd be friends with him. And then he brings us to his, to his community group, or brings us to church, and we're like, there's some cool people here, but there are a lot of weirdos, too. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of people I would have never picked. I, wouldn't have, I would have never been friends with that person. But that's God's wisdom, is that person is probably the person you need more in your life. And there are things that God's going to do in your life more through the people that you would have never chosen on your own. And so, God has a way of joining us in a community. I'm not saying who that person is. No, we're all, <laughs> we're all that person, actually, to somebody. You're that person. I hate to, hate to ruin your, your idealism, but you are that person to somebody. I'm that person to a lot of people. <laughs> so, good thing we have a lot of nice people here. That's for sure. But it's not just a person, but it's a people. And God wants to bring us into, into a people. And then the last thing here is that a bonding agent is, Ruth said, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And this is the biggest factor that brings us together, is having the same faith, having the same God. You know, that's why it's essential. In, you, your closest relationships have to be other believers. You're not going to have the greatest relationships with people that are not believers. Your spouse... Certainly, if you're not married yet, that's an essential factor, that that needs to be a fellow believer, someone that has the same faith. And the depth of your relationship ultimately boils down to 
the depth of your common faith. And, um, you know, sometimes that involves, you know, for, for Ruth, she had to adjust her belief system. She came from a culture that served idols, that had a, a, a worship system that was very different from that of the one true God. And she said, hey, the things I believe that aren't, that aren't consistent with this God and what he prescribes and the way he calls us to live, I'm willing to walk away from those things and for your God to be my God, for me to come into this, 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 this depth of relationship and join with you. And so having the same faith and adjusting our belief system where necessary. It's also realizing that God is the source of our relationships. You know, if we're trying... I don't know, I, some of the people I respect the most in the world, actually, in a weird way, in an interesting way, are people that are not Christ followers who are married. I'm like, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I would make it. Because I, I, I need a relationship with God to be in this thing. And I say that about all my relationships. I need God as my source to be in healthy relationship with others. And really, all of us do. And so, I, in, when Jesus was, the night before he was um, crucified, when he was um, having dinner with his, with his disciples, in Luke twenty two twenty, it says, In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And there's that word covenant. And Jesus was about to die. He was about to, to give his life for us. And he said, hey, when we, he instituted communion as we take the cup and the, the bread and remember him. But it's important that we, there's a reason we call it communion because it not only Jesus' death and resurrection not only restores our relationship with him, but also our ability to be in communion with other people as well. There's a new covenant that we can have with one another and it all comes through Jesus what he's done for us. And so, man, that's, that's, what, that's what brings it all together. All right, Ruth, Naomi, Covenant, Compact. Good stuff here. Anyone got a question? Yes, Martine. Yeah, very good question. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, because I should have been more clear. I don't know if you all heard that, Martin asked. So if you have to have the same faith to have these type of relationships, can you not be friend with a Muslim or someone of any different faith? No, you can have really good friendships with people of all different faiths. And it's interesting that Jesus, one of the things that the religious people said about him that they didn't like was they called him a friend of sinners. And actually, the sinners, he really saw him as a friend. And he was very friendly with, with people of all backgrounds. And, and the same is true. I have, I have very good friends who are Muslims. I have friends who are Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, all sorts of things. And that, that is, yes, we should have, we should be loving and be good friends to, to all sorts of people. Um, the point I was trying to make is that there is a, a depth of friendship of our deepest, most significant friendships, really the, the covenant kind of level that God wants us to live in that requires that we have the same faith in God and, and have, have a new life through our faith in him. Does that make sense? Okay, good. <laughs>
Any other questions? I don't know if I want to take questions from you. <laughs> yeah. How do you know you found your people? That's a good question. You don't like them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think? <laughs> well, and there are different levels. I mean, as I think of, I don't want to overdo this. I mean, there are, because I think you should have this mentality in every, like in your job. If, if that's the job you're in right now, you should be giving yourself fully to that job in a sense. Like, okay, these are the people where I'm with. I'm, I'm not just here as a hired hand. Like, I want to honor God and bless the people around me, um, whatever it is. And there, I'm not saying that, that you should be like, oh, if I need to find someone next week who I'm going to have a relationship with for the next 80 years. You know, that pro- likely isn't the way it's going to work for you, and it probably isn't the way it should work. But I think God does want you to have, and actually, I'm going to put Reagan on the spot since she raised her hand. I'm trying to convince her to bring the message next week. And she's on the fence right now, so you can talk to her if you'd like her to do that. But she's, one of the things she might talk about is, is the fact that we have different circles of relationships. And really what we're talking about today, there is an inner circle of, like, you can have different levels of relationships that you should have. There are, like, the one or two closest friends in your life. And then the next sphere, like, Jesus had, his, he, Jesus had the three that he was closest with. And then he had the twelve. And then he had the 70, and then he loved the multitudes, and he loved his whole nation. He loved the whole world. And so, looking for those, like, closest two or three, I don't know. There's just something about, there's a knowing, like, and in the different levels. There's just an inner sense that you, you feel like, man, I, I think this is somebody God's called me to walk with for, in, a, in a more intentional way. And that may sound kind of metaphysical, or, but... There's just a, a sense of, man, I know that this is the place. These are the people I'm called to walk with. And I think in finding a church, it's the same thing. Like, it shouldn't be, hey, what do I like the best? But what feels like home? Like, what, there's just a, like, my family may be dysfunctional, but it's my family. And, you know, we don't want our church to be too dysfunctional. But we, there's just a, like, hey, this is the place where it's home for me. And there's an inner sense that, man, I know that this is where God's placed me. That's the best I can answer that question. All right. Well, I must pray for us. And really ask, ask you all to ask yourself the question, just, God, what are you saying to me today? What, what is, how does it apply to my life? Are there attitudes in that I've had? Has there been individualism? Or where has there been individualism and consumerism that's kept me from being that kind of, that kind of friend, being that kind of ally, being that kind of team member to other people? God, what are you wanting me to do? How are you wanting to, to lead me into this more fully? Let's just pray together. God, thank you for your grace and your power in the new covenant that what what you did, Jesus, on the cross, 
changes us and gives us the ability to, to be compacted with other people. Gives us the ability to be in covenant with, with you and with other people. Lord, I Lord, thank you that you're patient with us and our character flaws and our flesh and our selfishness and all that. Lord, we, would, you, we, would you help us to say yes to you and be part of the process of, of changing and growing and becoming these kind of people, building this kind of community that the world needs. Thank you that you're doing that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and stand up.